worship our Lord. Let's take our Bibles and turn, please, to the book of 1 Kings. The book of 1 Kings, as I mentioned earlier, we're beginning a series tonight on the lives of both Elijah and Elisha. The lives of these two men are woven together in Scripture. Of course, Elijah, some would call Elijah the pioneer, as he kind of forged the way for Elisha. But uh, what a great message the other night we heard on the cloak uh, of Elijah. It was amazing, very, very helpful to me. But uh, as we come here tonight, we're first introduced to this man Elijah in chapter 17 of 1 Kings. But I believe it would be very helpful for us to understand some of the background, some of the historical setting of the nation of Israel as we pick up right in the middle of this particular book of the Bible. And so as we arrive in, in 1 Kings chapter 17, we find a divided kingdom. That was not how uh, it had always been, but of course, the nation of Israel was divided. Solomon, the king, was now dead. And in his passing, he, he, uh, he uh, instructed his son Rehoboam, who would take the throne. Uh, however, uh, isn't it amazing, the wisest man who ever lived raised a fool. And Rehoboam forsook the wise counsel of Solomon's counselors and listened and obeyed the counsel of the young men who had no idea what they were talking about. And as a result, the kingdom was divided. And uh, tragically, we find that the ten tribes of Asher, Dan, Ephraim, Gad, Issachar, Manasseh, Naphtali, Reuben, Simeon, and Zebulun seceded from the nation of Israel, and they formed the northern kingdom of Israel, and their capital city was the city of Samaria. And uh, we find also that the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin remained together, intact, and they, compiled, or they, uh, uh, they, uh, they established uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. And their capital city was the city of Jerusalem. But while Judah lived through an admixture of both good and bad kings, Israel was not fortunate to even have one good king. When the kingdom divided, the northern kingdom of Israel took to themselves a man by the name of Jeroboam to be their king. And he sinned. And uh, we find that all throughout the Old Testament, referring to Jeroboam, he's often referred to as uh, the one who made Israel to sin. And in his fear that the, that the, the nation of Israel would, uh, would be gathered back together, because of course they still worshipped the same God, they still observed the same holy days, they would still go to Jerusalem and, and worship God on the Temple Mount and offer sacrifice on that great day of atonement and all these different feasts and celebrations. Jeremiah thought within himself, I cannot allow this. So what did he do? He made his own religion. He took Judaism and he mixed it with paganism. He ordained the basis sword of man. Those who were ungodly and unqualified and ordained them to be the priests in his new religion. And the children of Israel Fled, they ran into apostasy. There was not one good king in all of the northern kingdom of Israel's history. 
And as we come, as we make our way here, uh, even in chapter 16, we're introduced to a man that is notorious. When we hear his, his name, we, our minds almost go directly to his wife. When I say Ahab, you say Jezebel. And may I say that Israel got exactly what they deserved with Ahab and Jezebel. The sin had compounded. The sin was running rampant. And everything that Jeroboam had established and all these other kings, we find the personification of it in Ahab and Jezebel. Wicked, wicked people. As a matter of fact, look how the Bible describes them. Look back a page in, in 1 Kings chapter 16. Uh, let's begin in verse number 25. The Bible says, But Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. What a great achievement, Omri, right? For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin, to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. Now the rest of the acts of Omri which he did and his might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his stead. The Bible says in verse 29, And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, uh, the son of Omri to, be, uh, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. This is a long twenty-two years, may I say. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. In verse 31, the Bible says, And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, that he took the, to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of, Zidon, of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Treacherous times, spiritually, for the children of Israel. Can you imagine how quickly they fell? Just for a moment. How quickly uh, David and Solomon and all their might in the zenith of their empire, for lack of better term, was brought low. It was divided. The kingdom was divided. Israel went headlong into immorality. Headlong, and the Bible describes it as vanities, as emptiness, as worldliness, as things that are passing. So much godlessness that Ahab and all that he did, it was a light thing for him to walk in the ways of Omri's father. There's no big deal. It's, it's no problem. No one criticized him. No one sought to correct him. And he be, went so far that he went and he married 
an outright pagan named Jezebel who worshipped Baal. He set up a temple for Baal. He worshipped Baal. He set up a gro- he, he planted a grove for Baal. And he promoted and expected the children of Israel to come and worship this pagan god. In many instances, I see parallels in our own time, our own nation. America's divided, isn't it? We live in a divided kingdom. Well, we still have 50 states, there's a great divide. You're either red or you're blue. You're either a Republican or you're a Democrat. You're either black or you're white. Or you wish you were black. Or you were sorry about all the wicked things that man has ever done to your ancestors. There's paganism at every turn in our country. It's wrapped up, it's packaged differently. But it's there. It's all the same. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And as much as it breaks our hearts as patriotic, red-blooded, flag-waving Americans to sit back and watch our country hit the depths of despair with open borders, with, with failed leadership at every level, not, and I'm not talking about the, the presidency only tonight, but at every level of society. We, what do we do? Don't our hearts break? The world is pushing secular religion, paganism on our young people. Humanism, Right? Secular humanism, Marxism, socialism, atheism, communism. It's not what America was founded on. They're seeking to erase our, our history, excuse it away. We live in a cancel culture. And may I, may I tell you tonight, I, I think there are so many ways that ancient Israel here is similar to where we are today in modern America. But what do we need? Don't we need the Lord? As bad as things are, and I hate to tell you, they're going to get a lot worse. Just read the book. It's not going to get better. The Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax better and better, right? No. Worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. It's not going to get better until Jesus comes again. And I'm not, I'm not a pessimist. I'm optimistic for what God can do. Because as we, as we sit here tonight in this place, I look around and I see, I see God's people. And just like in Israel's day, here with, as, as Ahab and Jezebel, as they were pushing their agenda on the people, as they were teaching children to sin, as they were offering all kinds of immoral and 
and morally wrong sacrifices to, to Baal and all of these things, we think, well, where were the people? There was a remnant. Because God always has a remnant. Christian, when you look around, you're not alone. We're going to come to the point in the story, eventually, I'm not going to tell you when, but eventually we'll get to the point in the story of Elijah where he thought he was alone, but God had to reassure his heart that he was not. But the world thinks that, that, that they can do whatever they want, don't they? They, they dismiss the, the, re, the truth of God. They dismiss the Word of God. They dismiss the things of God. They discredit the church of God. They, dis, they, they deny all the things that God created us to be, to have, and to enjoy. But what do we do? Well, we can learn a lot from the life of Elijah. How, do you, how are you going to live your life? How will you live in this moment of history? Do you believe that we live at a pivotal time in human history? Do you believe we're at a crossroads? Do you believe that God can still do a work? Do you believe that God can use your life? Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me as we read together here in God's Word. We're introduced here to Elijah. This is the first mention of this man in all of God's Word. We find it in 1 Kings chapter 17. No one knew who he was. And all of a sudden, he's there. And what do we learn from his life? Look what the Bible says beginning in verse number 1. 1 Kings chapter 17. The Bible says, And Elijah the Tishbite who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherish, that is, before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherish, that is, before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and fish in the morning, and bread and, fish and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass, after a while, that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Father, we come to you tonight and we ask for your blessing upon this message. Lord, may we see things as you see them tonight. May we understand uh, the job you've given to us as your people or to stand for truth in this, in this world. And so God, we do pray that you give us liberty tonight, that you give us help, that your spirit would speak to us through your word, that you'd strengthen our hearts and deepen our resolve and conviction for the things of God and our, and our desire to stand for truth and right. Lord, help us live our lives for Christ unapologetically, Lord, and unashamedly. And Father, maybe there's some here tonight who don't know Christ as their Savior. Again, Lord, we pray for their salvation.
that tonight they would make that decision and place their faith and trust in you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the world will tell you there is no God. That's what the world will tell you. And the world will either tell you that verbally or by their actions. Make no mistake. You go and you try to have a conversation uh, with many people and they, they question the existence of God because from their, from their early youth, they've been taught that their life is just a mistake. They're just, they're just a, a piece of gelatinous goo that crawled up on a rock one day and decided, you know what? Um, I think I'm going to try to sprout some, some legs and arms. And they did. And they, then they realized they were on an island. So they thought, well, what good is this? I'm going I'm to get some wings. I'm going to trade these, trade these arms for some wings. I'm going to fly away. Right? And then they fly to a, into a jungle and realize that there's a bunch of trees. And you know what? I don't really need to fly everywhere I, I go because you know, it's, I can just climb, so I'm going to trade these, things back for, these wings back for some arms and a tail, and I'm going to swing all over. The, isn't that foolishness? Yeah, amen. When was the last time, you know, true science is based on observation. When was the last time anyone ever saw the missing link? Why is everybody looking at me? I'm just showing you. You know? There's... In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God created. But in an attempt to erase God from, from, our, from the lives of people, they're re-educating us, manipulating us into thinking that life is just you're, just, you're just here by mistake. This is, there's no rhyme, there's no reason to it. You're just an animal. So behave like one, so I can get mad at you when you do. Right? But it makes no sense, does it? And even in our society today, we see a great push. You know, Black Lives Matter is, is big with this right now. We were out knocking doors yesterday, and, and you see their flags flying in the front yards of people's houses. You know, originally I thought I just gave people the benefit of the doubt. I thought, well, maybe they're just naive and they don't understand it. everything that Black Lives Matter stands for. But that ship has sailed. <laughs> um, you know, communism, Marxism, you know, it, it all leads to something. It's the erasing of God from the life of people and replacing it with something. You see, they don't deny the existence of God. They just want to be God for you instead. And so what they are attempting to do is replace God with government. Either way, you're trusting in someone for your needs. And they would just rather you trust them and not God. Let me know how that goes, Venezuela. We think of everything that God, that God has set in motion in this world. God has a system, doesn't He? Understand that, that, God is, that God is alive, that God is a person, that God has a purpose, that God has a plan for you. And understand tonight that as, as the child of God, you and I have been called by God to stand and make up the gap. Jesus told us that we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You and I are to let our light so shine before men 
that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Because we have a society, a world, that has discounted, disrespected, and ignored God and replaced him with so many other things. And now they're living just like Ahab and Jezebel, just pursuing their own lustful desires. They're living as if there is no God, or, that, or rather that the true and living God does not exist. But if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to what Elijah said to Ahab. Isn't it interesting? Elijah, all of a sudden, he shows up on the scene. He may have been preaching. He may have been ministering. I, I, he may have had a, a small following of people, but you know, maybe over time they dwindled and, and, and all the persecution and, uh, of the day, they just kind of faded into the sunset. But God tapped this man. He called this man. He equipped this man. And He sent this man to go and stand before King Ahab. And what did He say to King Ahab? Yeah, He said that it wasn't going to rain for these years, right? But I believe in my heart of hearts He said something even more important than that. If you look at what the Bible says in verse number 1, the Bible, right in the midst, right in the heart of the verse, there's a statement. He says, the Lord God of Israel liveth. Would you mark that statement in your Bible? The Lord God of Israel liveth. What does that mean? It means you're accountable. It means you can, you can continue doing what you want, but God has not abdicated His throne. That God has not gone on vacation. He's not turned His head and ignored all the wickedness and filth and debauchery that's going on in the society today. God still lives. Amen. Yes, he does. And friends, what you and I need to understand is that He lives and He wants to live His life through you. Remember, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Ahab and Jezebel, they thought they had got away with it scot-free, didn't they? So oftentimes in our lives, we think, you know, I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do as I please. Make no mistake. The Lord God of Israel liveth. God is still alive. God still exists. He was here before you got here. He'll be here after you leave. He's the eternal God. The I am that I am. The, the self-existent one. He's Jehovah. He reminded... Look there, Elijah, he reminded Ahab exactly who this God is that he's speaking of. He was specific. Why? Because they had a lot of different gods. <laughs> they were worshiping all kinds of things, all kinds of images, all kinds of idols. He was specific. He didn't say Baal lives, because very soon in this story we find that Baal's dead. That Baal, he never lived to begin with. Because God answered Elijah's prayer by sending fire from heaven. 
But he made the statement that says, the Lord. How is that spelled? All capital letters. The Lord, Jehovah. That's significant. Because he's referring to the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of Israel. The God who called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees. The God who, who allowed Abram and his wife, or Abraham and his wife Sarah to conceive a child in their old age. She bare Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And God made a promise. And the promise did not depend on Abraham. The promise God made depended on God Himself. It was an unconditional, everlasting covenant that He established with Abraham. And you and I are beneficiaries of that covenant because of Jesus Christ. It is this God that lives. And Christians, we need to live our lives demonstrating to this world that our God lives. Now is not the time to roll over. Now is not the time uh, to pack up camp and go home. Now is time to live a life of fervency and urgency for the things of God. Now is time to, to let your light shine. Now is time to stand before men and glorify the Lord by professing Christ and living a life that is indicative of the words you speak. We've got to live our lives for the Lord. Why? Because He lives. Don't be defeated. Sometimes I think Christians are some of the most easily defeated people in the world. You know? Well, it didn't go my way. Huh? When is the last time anything really did go your way? Right? Well, the election was stolen. Yep, yeah, it probably was. Nothing you knew about it. Except trust the Lord. Because God lives. God lives. Has anything that has ever happened in your life taken God by mistake? Or by surprise, I mean? Has anything in your life come to you mistakenly? No. God is in charge. He is almighty God. And He lives. And the great calling God has placed upon our lives in this hour is to live for Him. Because God lives, I can live. You know what? Life is hard. Things happen I don't like. I don't enjoy a lot of things that happen. But there's a lot of things I take great pleasure in because I see God at work. And oftentimes, as difficult as life is, as, as horrifically awful as our society has become, with the multitudes upon multitudes of unborn babies being murdered. That's Baal worship at its core. It's idolatry, witchcraft. Drugs, 
flooding our nation. People have no hope. People hurting. People without work. People can't get a job. Christians, God's alive. It's going to be all right. The world thinks it can get away with this stuff for now. But in the end, we all stand before the Lord. We all give account of our lives to God. So what are we going to do about it? The only thing you and I can do is trust the Lord with it and live our lives for Him. That's the only thing. Christians, the Lord God of Israel liveth. Won't you say that with me? The Lord God of Israel liveth. Let's say it again like we mean it. The Lord God of Israel liveth. Do you believe that? If you believe that God's alive, there are three things that you and I ought to do as we attempt to live for Him. Notice the first lesson we learn is in verse number 1 of 1 Kings chapter 17. It's a simple lesson, but it's a hard lesson. We must learn to stand in God's presence. Learn to stand in God's presence. In other words, you and I must learn to live a life in the presence of God, spending time with the Lord in prayer, in Bible reading, in fellowship, in close communion with our Savior. And not some hocus-pocus mystical thing, but a true relationship with God that we, have, that we can talk to Him and, and we communicate one with another. You see, you will never be able to stand before the Ahabs until you first learn that you're standing before God. The Bible says, look there in verse number 1, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, notice the statement, Before whom I stand. It didn't say before whom I stood. It didn't say before whom I will stand. It was present tense. He was, at that moment, at the moment he was standing before Ahab, he was living consciously in the presence of Almighty God. Are you living consciously in the presence of Almighty God? You know, in life, you and I, we may, we may be able to talk to some important people. Influential people. People with power. People with pull. People with influence. But none of that matters. Unless you first learn to stand before the Lord. You see, Elijah, yeah, he stood before King Ahab. Wicked King Ahab. But more importantly than King Ahab... He was standing in the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords. He was standing in the presence of Almighty God. He, was, he had learned to live his life with the Lord. Christian, you and I, we must learn to live our lives with the Lord. How do we do that? Well, Jesus described that for us in John chapter 17. Abiding in Christ. Spending time with the Lord. He said, without me, you can do nothing. You can't do one thing without the Lord. Elijah couldn't have stood before Ahab. 
He couldn't have declared the words of God to Ahab had he not learned to spend that time with the Lord, that secret place, that quiet place where it was just him and God. Christian, where have you, where do you stand before the Lord? Or when, what place, what time, what location? When, how do you make it a point that discipline to spend time with God in a personal one-on-one way? When's the last time God has spoken to your heart? When's the last time God has spoken to you personally from your, your Bible reading and your devotional time? When's the last time you had direct answer to prayer? You, we must learn to live consciously in the presence of God. Do you realize that once, if we learn to live consciously in the presence of God, so many issues we face in life go away. We, we worry about so many things because we're not living consciously in the presence of God. You ever wonder how Elijah felt as he was making his way to Samaria? He thought, man, I've got to go talk to the king. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? Do you think he was nervous? Seemed pretty bold. Didn't seem like he really missed any words. <laughs> you know what they say, plain speech is easily understood. And Elijah, he went and he spoke with Ahab, and he said, there, there, shall be, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. How could he make such a bold statement? Because he had spent time with the Lord. How can you tell other people about Christ if you don't spend any time with them? We can go through the motions. We can have a, a canned speech that we've, that we've memorized, right? God's Word doesn't return void, which I'm thankful for. But upon whom are we relying? As Elijah stood in the presence of that man, he realized that his God was greater. Because his God lived. And what a profound privilege it is for you and me to have the joy of a real relationship with the true and living God. Utilize that relationship. Get to know Him. Notice the second lesson we learn. It's found in verses 2 through 6. It's oftentimes a difficult lesson. But it's, it will change your life. You must do as God instructs. Do as God instructs. In other words, whatever God tells you to do, that's exactly what you need to do. Look what the Bible says in verse number 2. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying... The, the expression, the word of the Lord came, is found 92 times in the Bible. That exact statement, 92 times. The simple reality is, you and I have never heard the audible voice of God. But you know what I have been given? The word of the Lord came. Won't you turn quickly to the book of Psalms and look at what the Bible says in Psalm 68 and verse number 11. God 
the word of the Lord came to Elijah. But in Psalm 68, verse 11, the Bible says something about the word of God. The word of the Lord says, and the Lord gave the word. Who gave the word? The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. Christians, God gave you His Word. The Word of the Lord came. What are we going to do when God's Word has entrance into our lives? I've made the statement before, and I stand by it. Every time we read the Word of God, we're accountable for what it says. I've read the Bible cover to cover. I'm accountable to God for everything that it says. What a humbling statement that just was. Because I recognize how, how great of a failure I am. I mean, not just a simple failure, like an abject failure, okay? But we must do as God instructs. When God speaks to you from His Word, how will you respond? What if the Lord tells you to do something that is, that's crazy? Do you realize what happened in Elijah's life? He went and he stood before the king. He told him that God lives and it wasn't going to rain until he said... And then it didn't rain, like he had said. Sometimes I think that Ahab probably just laughed at him. You're a fool. Get out of here. Don't waste my time. And then he realized that it hadn't rained in a week or so. A month, two months. Not only had it not rained, but as the Bible says, there was, a, there was no dew on the ground either. In the mornings you get up and you go outside and you get in your car and it's got that little film on the windshield. That's due. When you walk through the grass in the mornings and your shoes are all wet, there was no moisture of any kind ever anywhere. Because God said it wasn't going to rain or give dew. So this lunatic man who barges into the king's palace and stands before him in his court and he, and he declares that it's not going to rain until I say. It's not going to give any dew until I rain. Go on, you fool. Now he's not, so, now he's not a fool. Now he's going back to all of his clerks. He said, hey, who was that man that, that, that came in here? What was his name? He said it wasn't going to rain. And they, they scroll through the pages of all the, the chronicles of everybody who comes and stands and, and, and speaks to the king. And they oh, Elijah, the Tishbite. Where is he? I don't know. The word of the Lord came to him. And God instructed Elijah to do something that might sound strange. Listen to it. Look what the Bible says. In verse 3, it says, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherish that is before Jordan. That doesn't sound so odd, does it? Okay, I'll go over there. No big deal. But then it gets a little strange. Then it gets weird. It says, And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. Okay, not so bad. And I... And I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. What? I guess it's better a raven than a robin. Have you seen how robins feed their babies? Yuck, right? 
I don't want, I don't, ain't nobody have time for that. But really, I'm going to wait here for the birds to feed me? It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? You know what? Sin never makes sense. Sin is always illogical. And sometimes the devil tricks us into thinking that, that obeying God is illogical. It doesn't make sense until you obey God, until you do what he says, and you realize, oh God, you were right. God, you knew exactly what you were talking about. Lord, I'm thankful that, that I obeyed and did what you said, because had I not, I would have been in a big mess of trouble. Not only was Elijah looking for, or was, not only was Elijah being hunted by Ahab, but he would have starved. The Bible goes on to say, And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I, uh, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherish, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drunk of the brook. Christians, we must learn, we must come to the place where we willingly obey the Lord. Christian, as we hold a copy of God's Word in our hands this evening, can we boldly state the Word of the Lord came? The Word of the Lord came. Aren't you glad you've got it? Well, will you read it? What will you do with it? Will you read it? Will you heed it? Will you obey it? The word of the Lord came. Well, here's another question. What will keep you from obeying God's word? What will keep you from doing as God instructs? Is it fear of persecution? Well, what is everybody going to think if I come into work tomorrow and do such and such a thing? What will my, what will my employer do when I, when I sit down at my desk and I plop my Bible down on the corner of my desk. What will my coworkers do when in the break room I stop and pray for my lunch? What will I do or what will they do to me if, if, I, try to, if I try to give them a gospel track or an invitation to church? What are they going to say? So oftentimes... The word of the Lord comes, but we do nothing with it because we're fearful of persecution. What about personal loss? Do you think it costs something to serve God? I don't. I believe it costs us when we sin. It costs a lot more to sin than it ever will to serve the Lord. We may have to give up some things, you know, College football's right around the corner, you know. We won't talk about that. Nothing to talk about there. <laughs> you know, we've got all these things going on. All these hobbies. All these activities, all these fun, all this fun and game. But Christians, are you fearful of loss? Personal loss? Don't be afraid of what you don't have. <laughs> the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Christian, don't be afraid of personal loss. Why won't you obey? Are you fearful 
Is there an unwillingness to surrender your all to Christ? Is there something that you're just holding on to that you're unwilling to let go? Something that you've held on to for a long time? Something that you enjoy? Something that you've nurtured? We sing the song, I surrender all. Have you surrendered all? Will you obey the Lord? The word of the Lord came. It's our responsibility to do as God instructs. Because you'll be You'll always be better off obeying God than not. I want you to notice the last lesson we learn. Found in verse number 7. It's kind of a catchy lesson here. Don't doubt in the drought. Don't doubt in the drought. In verse number 7, we find that the brook dried up. The Bible says in verse number 7, and it came to pass after a while, we don't know how long a while is, uh, it's said that the brook cherished with not a very large brook, but it dried up. Why did it dry up? Because there was no water there. Why was there no water there? Because the word of the Lord came. There's no water there because by the word of Elijah, by the word of God, remember the, the Lord God of Israel liveth before me, before me stood, so it would not rain. Would not give any dew on the ground as long as he said. That's why it dried up. So was God wrong for sending Elijah to the brook Cherish? Even, even though he knew the brook was going to dry up? No. What is the great lesson we learn at the brook? Trust God. Don't doubt in the drought. Christian, don't, drought, don't doubt God when, when the brook dries up. If God sent you there, don't doubt when that water runs dry. Consider the testimony of David. Turn, please, to the book of Psalms. In Psalm number 37. Psalm 37. You know, obedience is great. Obedience, kids, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Right? Doing exactly as the Lord commands, doing it happily. Obedience is great. Until the brook dries up. And you tell God, God, what... what it, why, why, why did you send me here? Lord, I thought this is what you had for me. Christians, if God can feed Elijah with ravens, don't you think he can feed you? Look what the Bible says in verse 23 of Psalm 37. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. So oftentimes we read these verses in this passage separate from each other. When we read them all together, we understand how good God is. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. 
The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. How, do, how are my steps ordered? Well, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. My steps, my life is ordered by the Lord because as a child of God, I know God lives. I'm learning to stand in His presence and my heart's desire is to do as God instructs. So when times of leanness come, am I going to doubt God? Well, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and He delighteth in His way. Look what else the Word of God says in the next verse, verse 24. The Bible says, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. The Lord upholdeth him with his hand. In other words, God's saying, you know, I've got you, man. I'm holding you up. I'm not going to let you fall. I'm not going to let you get hurt. I'm not, God will never ask you to do something detrimental to your life. He's upholding you. David makes a statement in verse 26, or 25. He says, I've been young, and now I'm old. Yet, have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread? The Bible says he is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Christians, don't doubt in the drought. Why? Because the Lord is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. He's upholding you. He's taking care of you. And we'll see next week what God will do in the life of Elijah as he comes to a crossroads again. As that brook dries up, what's God going to do in his life? But he must never forget that the Lord God of Israel liveth. Christians, if you... Didn't take away anything from the message tonight. Take that away. Write that down. The Lord God of Israel liveth. God's alive. You have nothing to fear. You've got nothing to worry about. Our greatest responsibility is to know Him better. Stand in His presence. Do as He instructs. And don't doubt in the drought. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's all stand to our feet.